Welcome to The Big Unlock, where we discuss data, analytics, and emerging technologies in healthcare. Here's some of the most innovative thinkers in healthcare information technology talk about the digital transformation of healthcare and how they are driving change in their organizations. This is Patty. Today, our uh, guests are Ed Marks, CIO of Cleveland Clinic, and Chris Donovan, Executive Director of Enterprise Information Management and Analytics at uh, the clinic. Cleveland Clinic, as many of our listeners would know, is one of the largest and most respected hospitals in the country and indeed in the world. Ed and Chris, it's a real honor and privilege for me to have you as guests on my inaugural podcast, and welcome. Patty, thank you for having us. It's a joy to be part of your first podcast. Yes, thank you very much. All right, Ed, I am going to start with you. Uh, your new role for a little under six months, right? You want to share some some of your thoughts on what it's been like. By the way, I read your blog on the first 90 days. There's great stuff there for our leaders coming into new roles. Thank you, Patty. Yeah, it was very fresh on my mind, obviously, sort of the first 90 days. We all know how critical that can be to onboarding successfully in a new organization. So as I went along that journey myself, hopefully for the last time, I thought it might be good to write about it. And I had some other colleagues of mine who recently started new jobs also contribute. So hopefully it'll help other people who make that transition. And one of the things that I was really interested in coming on board was where we were with analytics. And I'm pleased to say that of one of the many fine things that the Cleveland Clinic does is utilize data to help us run our business. And when I say business, of course, I'm talking about both the clinical and financial aspects of things. And so we have a very robust enterprise analytic foundation. And so that's why I'm thrilled to share the stage, the podcast stage with you today with Chris Donovan, who leads that effort on behalf of our organization. So it's been very interesting to see all the different things that we have going on. It's very progressive and innovative organization, as you know. And analytics, again, one of the sort of highlights of my discoveries in my first six months. That's wonderful. And it's, it's great that uh, we've got Chris on the line as well. Chris, you've been at the clinic for a long time. Uh, and now we are in the post-EHR implementation era and analytics is center stage, right? Can you talk a little bit about uh, you know, where you're seeing the highest value at the clinic for analytics and maybe talk, a, you know, talk about a couple of successes that you've had? Uh, sure. Um, you know, we're really trying to drive in our organization, we're trying to drive analytics as an enterprise capability. So we're looking at doing this work across a broad spectrum of, of domains, I think. When you think about some of the top of mind stuff, certainly population health is a key component of our strategy right now. I think that's something that's in the forefront of most uh, leaders in healthcare's minds right now. <clears throat> and we've been doing a lot of work in the last year to try and apply some of these advanced analytic capabilities in that space. Um, you know, if you think about <clears throat> the transition that everyone's going through in healthcare related to population health, it's really about that idea of how do we go from taking care of people who are already sick to keeping people from getting sick. And in the space of analytics, 
there's a ton of potential uh, methodologies and approaches that we can apply to that. So some early things that we've done, um, and if you think about analytics kind of broadly, not just the advanced analytics, meaning the, the math and the algorithms and, and that side of it, but also all the work that goes into making it successful. So building the right skill sets, hiring the right people, the data, ensuring you have the right data, you have good governance around it. All that leads up to your ability to actually use that data to make better decisions. And so we've been doing a lot of work around that, partnering with payers um, to try and get innovative in terms of how we collect data, how we share data, how we move data back and forth between our organizations to understand the populations um, that we're now at shared risk for. Some very specific things that we've been doing are trying to understand and forecast risk. So what patients or, or members in the plans that we're at risk for do we believe in the next 12 months are going to have a spike in their healthcare costs? And what can we do then to intervene and actually stop that from happening? And so we've done quite a bit of work uh, with our clinical teams <clears throat> to identify algorithms that help us forecast patients who we believe are going to be those high spend or high utilization patients in the next year. And using that information, we can identify a risk score. Uh, that risk score allows us to feed that information back to our care coordination and care management teams. And we're just in the beginning stages of being able to utilize that to prioritize and highlight who we think our care coordination team should go after uh, in their care coordination efforts. And so that's been a real success. Um, and even though we've, we're just in the beginning of actually utilizing it, changing the way we deliver that care to our patients, I think um, that's been a real success in terms of building momentum, building excitement, and building key partnerships in our organizations. We couldn't do any of this without our clinical partners and clinical leaders in our organization. And this has been a great testing ground for us to really build some of those relationships, understand how we can bring their clinical knowledge and apply that. Uh, to the math and to the algorithms that we're building so they can really be impactful when we roll them into production. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, let me touch on a couple of things that you mentioned. Uh, one of them is data. Now, we are in an era where there's uh, newer and newer sources of data that are available to us, right? You know, we've done the EHR implementations, all the electronic health records, but there's also new data sources, data, genomic data, just to name a couple. So can you talk a little bit about how your social determinants of health, you know, people talk about that a lot. Can you talk a little bit about how you're integrating these various data sources and what does it mean in terms of uh, your IT infrastructure in order to be able to deal with these uh, different types of data and also this increasing volumes of data? Certainly. Um, as we designed our analytics platform, which we've been working on for the last couple of years, uh, we had exactly that kind of capability and those challenges in mind. So we've been doing what we've traditionally called decision support or business intelligence at the Cleveland Clinic for a long time and been very successful at it. Um, but as we looked forward a couple of years ago, we recognized some of the challenges that you were raising here around volume and velocity and variety of data. So if you think about, certainly the EHR presents a huge source of structured data. So just from a volume perspective, we needed to be able to accommodate that. Also inside of that are notes and other kinds of data that are unstructured that we really have a desire to be able to access and understand and utilize. 
the machines that we have in our patients' rooms, so kind of the Internet of Things um, ecosystem. We recognize that that data is going to be coming at us, and we have an opportunity to leverage that. Increasingly, patients will be bringing their own data, so whether it's through a Fitbit or other kinds of health devices like that. Um, also, patient enter data, so what can we ask our patients? How can we do a survey with them and learn something about them that can help us design their care differently? So as we built our platform, we knew we were going to have to have capabilities across a much wider array of data types and speed and all that stuff that we talked about. So from a technology perspective, we really built um, a platform that allows us to build a standardized enterprise approach to this and create a platform that we can leverage for our entire organization. And inside of that, we have some, some core or key kind of foundations and building blocks that allow us to do that. First is that data integration piece. So we need to be able to capture the data, interact with it, go out, collect that data, normalize it, standardize it when appropriate, and then store what pieces of that make sense in a structured data warehouse or structured data environment. Next to that and tied into that from a technical perspective, we also have a, a Hadoop file system, which allows us to capture unstructured data um, allows us to bring data in that we're not quite sure what we want to do with and we want to experiment with. We want to unleash it to people to kind of explore and see what kinds of connections they can find in it. And it also allows us to capture data at much higher uh, volume than typically our structured data warehouse would allow us to do. So we have those, those two pieces together along with that ETL or ELT, depending on what uh, particular use case you have on the front end of that. And right. On top of all that is the analytics platform so that we can access it. <clears throat> a couple of, uh, of examples of that, we did some work, we partnered with our Learner uh, Research Institute here at the clinic around genomics. And so genomics is a hot topic right now, lots of possibilities there in terms of improving care. And obviously one of the challenges with genomics is just the size of the data. And how do you store that? How do you use it? So we partnered with our, our uh, partners over in our research institute and we identified a process in our organization by which we store both components of the genomic data. So there's the, the BAM files, which are those, the huge full sequence files that contain every single genome uh, for each person that has been sequenced. And then there's what they call the variant control files. And that's really what our team is interested in. The variant control files are where they compare your genome to the a perfect human genome and they find just the places where there's variances and so where there's something different. And so we identified a process where we're just pulling those VCF files uh, into our analytics platform and leveraging those. And we did a research, kind of a POC with this in 2017. We're able to link that genotypic data up to the phenotypic data that we have in our EMR that we've pulled into our analytics platform and do some really interesting stuff. And, and uh, one of the things that we did just as a real life uh, use case was we identified a small cohort of patients who had a genomic indicator for an increased risk of colon cancer, and we could cross-reference them with our EMR and identify a subset of patients who had that increased risk but who had never had a screening colonoscopy. And so it's that kind of work that we believe is just the taste of what the potential of bringing together these disparate kinds of data that historically we were never able to link effectively. Right. That's fascinating stuff. Now, you know, let me touch on what may have been some of the challenges, right? Chris, uh, I, I'd love to hear, and, and I'm sure our listeners would love to hear as well, 
what are some of the typical challenges you have to overcome, both from a technical standpoint, because you're, you're looking at different kinds of structured and unstructured data coming at different velocities? Right? That's one part of it. There's a technical challenge. And then there are, are there other challenges, such as you know, privacy? I mean, you know, the stuff that you just talked about, uh, do people want to know? I mean, would I want to know if, uh, and how do you actually release that kind of information? Yeah, those are those are really good questions. Um, in terms of technical, yeah, there's a big challenge there. It's um, all the components of this kind of along the ecosystem of data, that, you know, this new accessing these new kinds of data at the velocity and the volume and the variety of data present challenges for our historic model. And that was really why we had to take a new approach and invest in what we've called our analytics platform that allows us to interact very differently. Um, it means a couple of different things. It means we have to be able to capture data uh, differently. We need to be able to collect data. We need to be able to normalize it when it's appropriate. We also need to be able to capture data and not make any changes to it, just store it and use it. Um, we need to think differently in terms of how we connect with different systems. And increasingly, we may not need to actually move data out of source systems. We may need to just connect to those systems and leverage that data where it sits. So all of those different things present significant technical challenges to us. And that's why we tried to build an enterprise platform that provided enough flexibility and agility to uh, you know, address each of those different challenges, but bring it together into a common ecosystem that our organization could leverage. Um, in terms of the uh, you know, privacy issues, that's something we're definitely wrestling with. I think that's why an equally important pillar of a program like this has to be around data governance. And so as part of this effort here at the clinic, we established a data governance office, which is the first time we've had that in our organization in a very formal manner. And as part of that, we're, we're, we've partnered that data governance office with our privacy officer and with our security officer to ensure that we're building a best-in-class tool in terms of guarding patient privacy. So when people enter into our EIMNA platform, we have, um, you know, what we're building is best-in-class, ensuring that we're HIPAA compliant. Um, we're exploring technologies such as data masking. So do we have opportunities to build data sets that are completely masked so that we don't have to worry about PHI being uh, shared inappropriately? Where we do have PHI, building all the policies, procedures, guidelines around that data to ensure that our folks at the clinic understand the appropriate use cases for that, they understand the minimal use requirements um, that we should all be thinking about constantly, and that they're very aware of the need to protect our patients' uh, private information. Uh, and that's a real challenge, and that's really important going forward. That's something we're spending quite a bit of time uh, on right now because we're trying to balance. We want to build a platform that makes this data available because so, we have a very much a self-service bias in how we want to do this. Our goal is not to centralize all the information and lock it down and make everybody come through a central team. It's how do we get that out into the hands of the folks that are going to be using it to make decisions and improve clinical care and drive quality improvements and outcomes. And at the same time, recognize that we have to do that in a way that is appropriately protecting the, you know, the PHI that we have inside of these data sets. So a lot of thought and effort here uh, around that. And certainly our data governance office is taking the lead on uh, helping us make sure we maintain that. Right, right. And I'm sure you know, folks are going to be very reassured by the fact that there is a governance process and uh, it's all being you know, properly handled. The switching, switch 
switching back to the infrastructure piece, uh, from from your comments, I gathered that you're you know you're taking the data from multiple sources and not necessarily bringing it all in house. So is it fair to say that you've you've embraced cloud infrastructure and cloud based uh, solutions for setting up this platform? And is it also fair to say that the interoperability challenges that the industry has been talking about for you know for a while now, uh, those are somewhat under control. Is it fair to say that? Um, well, we're not we're not in the cloud yet. So we took the when we built this a couple of years back and laid out our roadmap. We started with a, an on-prem traditional on-prem solution, and the reason for that ties back to your last question was we were unsure at the time when we were making these decisions of the PHI and the and the compliance of those cloud vendors to make sure that we could keep that information safe and we understood how the whole process of you know, how that whole process around privacy was going to work. We did ensure that in our roadmap and when we talked with our partners that we are, you know, the vendors that we partnered with in this space that we recognize that cloud is where we're going to be uh, at some point. And so we have a roadmap to move in that direction and we have technologies that allow us to leverage a hybrid environment. So what do we want to have on-prem and where and when does it make sense to leverage a more elastic kind of cloud environment? So in this space, at least in our analytics space, we're not in the cloud today. We have other um, approaches and strategies across the organization and more broadly across IT that we're moving probably more rapidly towards the cloud. But in this space, we were a little more conservative because of those concerns that I noted. Um, in terms of interoperability, you know, there's still a lot of challenges with that. That's one of the key things as we think about, if you think about building a digital platform for a healthcare organization, that's got to be one of the keys. So how do we build those ecosystems where we can connect out, you know, in a population health world, uh, we may have a, an app that we have in the hands of a patient and that patient might want to be able to access their chart, access some clinical information on their own, refill a prescription, maybe build an, or set an appointment by themselves. Um, and that, at the same time, they may be providing us information that they've collected on a device, you know, a Fitbit or some other health device that they have at home. We need to build this platform that allows us to interact with those devices, interact with that patient. That information has to pass back into our core application so that they can actually, uh, you know, schedule an appointment. It may need to reach out to a partner, a payer, or maybe a provider, uh, a provider partner. And we have to be able to leverage that data that they're capturing off that device. So that's the ecosystem more broadly that we're thinking of and we're trying to design around and ensure we have that interoperability through direct connections or APIs or however we want to, uh, however we think we're going to best achieve that. And then we also think about across that ecosystem, what are the different ways that we want to partner with vendors in, the, in this space? So do we want to build? like we did with our core analytics platform that we build in-house? Do we want to buy applications so people are delivering already you know, purpose-built tools into the space? Can we partner someone there and, and leverage that and get to something faster or more efficiently than we could? And where do we want to innovate and really kind of drive the edge and be on the leading edge? So kind of discovery, exploration partners, where maybe we bring in a, a, a third-party vendor and we create something together. And so I think it's through those different strategies that we're trying to address both the you know the, the interoperability challenges and also think about our infrastructure and how we have to leverage those different ways of interacting with partners. That's great stuff. I'm going to come back to that in a second, but I was reminded uh, something 
that Ed told me what, when I interviewed him for the uh, for the book that I wrote. Ed, one of your quotes for my book was, "Teacher is ready, but the student does not." I simply love that. And what he was saying there was that there's a lot of innovative solutions out there, but the healthcare system is not necessarily ready for all of it. Do you want to expand on that or comment on that? Yeah, I think generally we've been laggards in healthcare in terms of exploiting the data that we have access to, as you address in your book, The Big Unlock, the harnessing data and growing digital health businesses in this you know, value-based era of care. I think we've been slow. And when we look at other industries, we see them picking up on technologies much faster. They don't have the same interoperability hurdles. So I give ourselves a little bit of grace uh, that we might have in our industry and healthcare and the complexities around that. And like Chris was saying, all the additional safeguards we put in place because of the sensitivity of the data that we're dealing with. And that said, you know, that those are, those are real obstacles uh, to deal with and challenges that we're, that we work through. But I think we're still behind some other industries and I'm glad to be serving alongside Chris and some other leading organizations that are taking what we do have, the capabilities available to us and, and doing some pretty innovative things like Chris already described. And there's certainly some, some other things, but my hope is that organizations like the Cleveland Clinic, and as I mentioned, there's other peers of Chris's that he works with quite closely in other parts of the country that they continue to demonstrate the leadership that they're doing in terms of delivering outcomes, utilizing data, and that others will also step up and bring the realities of the potential to uh, healthcare because data is the new oil, as you describe it, and it's a way to really transform healthcare. We've been talking about transformation for quite some time, but I think the ability to harness the power of data is really going to help us get there. And so we continue to push. And as Chris was describing, you know, again, a little bit behind what some other industries are, but in terms of leveraging the technologies available, but I think we, we're gaining momentum, making uh, strong inroads. And I think that you'll see more and more examples of some of that innovation uh, taking place, like what Chris was describing we're doing here at the clinic. That, that's, that's, really, that's really helpful. Now, you know, as the head of the IT function, Ed, I imagine you have to make decisions all the time about allocating your resources, right? You know, what gets funded, what doesn't, what gets your support, what doesn't. So what kind of a framework or a mental model do you do you use to decide which initiatives you'll support? And related to that is this whole innovation agenda, right? Because the flip side of innovation is risk. And so how do you balance those? Uh, do you, would you care to comment on that? Sure. We approach it a couple of different ways, but first and foremost, is what are our objectives as the Cleveland Clinic? So we don't create our own sub-objectives or, or objectives that are different within IT or within analytics. So we really take where the organization is headed as put out by our board and our executive team, and then really see ourselves as a catalyst to enabling the realization of those particular objectives. So for instance, I think analytics relates to all six of our primary objectives for 2018, but let's just take uh, digitalization and high reliability organization. And, and of course, we're patient first is our mantra in terms of our culture. 
And so when you take in the culture and you take in two of these six, actually all six, but I'm just highlighting two of the six major objectives for our organization for the year, analytics is deeply entrenched in each one of those and make those a reality. And so it's, it's, it's not too hard then to, to interpret the objectives of the organization and see how we leverage analytics. And so when it comes to prioritization, we have to look at where do we get the biggest bang for our buck? And certainly analytics, taking harnessing all the data that we already collect and improving our clinical outcomes, improving our financial outcomes is, is really how we're, we're driven. So I could, I could answer this in a multitude of different ways, but we do have a governance structure and Chris alluded to that. And, and in terms of analytics, it's a very high powered governance structure it includes primarily members of the C-suite. So our executive team, as well as some of our, what we would call our, our most dominant power users. And in there, it's all about, again, going back to the objectives I mentioned about high reliability organization, all about digitalization, you know, taking data that we have and, and making it actionable and all wrapped around this concept of our patient first culture, where we've made a promise that we're going to deliver the, the best healthcare any place. And so in order to do that, you have to have robust analytics. So when it comes down to going back, I think, to the heart of your question in terms of funding, prioritization, it, we're, we're all about analytics. And if you, in fact, if you look at from an IT-centric point of view, how we interpret things, when we talk about our, our goals that flow directly from the organization goals, we have a wraparound that and all of that and that wraparound is called analytics. So it is front and center of everything we do. It's the core to digitalization, to digital health. So it gets the recognition and thus the funding that it deserves to get because it's really probably our biggest, single biggest lever for impacting patient outcomes. But that is, that's just, yeah, fantastic. I'm sure that's music to the ears of you know folks who are like-minded analytics professionals or or those who are looking to work with you. Now, a related question that that probably comes up in all your conversations, or at least some of your conversations, is how do you compute the ROI on this? Is this more of a you know we know this is the right thing to do and therefore we're going to do it, or is it that no, we're going to look at you know even if it's important and the right thing to do, we're still going to look at the hard returns before we move forward with anything, or is it somewhere in between? Well, I'll take a first stab at that and then maybe ask Chris to comment based on sort of a historical uh, point of view. But I think the the returns are pretty demonstrable. They're, they're pretty self-evident when you realize you need to become a data-driven organization. And you need to have, just like we ask for evidence-based medicine on behalf of our clinicians, Whenever we're de developing pathways, we, we, we've, we're starting to embrace that sort of discipline or have embraced that discipline when it comes around uh, data as well, and that we need to be data-driven. And the only way to be data-driven is to have the ability to collect and analyze data. So, so we've seen a pure return, even in, in my uh, first six months, just looking at the work that's been done. Uh, and, and hearing use cases, which I give giving Chris here a uh, time to maybe set one up for you. Uh, it's been pretty demonstrable. And what's nice is the, the more we do this, it's a repeatable cycle, then the more confidence that our executive team gains in what we can do and is more apt to continue investments in analytics because they do see that return. 
Chris, do you have an example that we might be able to share, whether it's a clinical return or a financial return? Yeah, absolutely. We, there's, a, there's a few that we can pick from. And I just want to echo Ed's comments that we really take that uh, both sides of that approach. So certainly we know that there's investments that we're going to make that we want to have a return and we do it because it's the right thing to do. But it's equally important that we're able to demonstrate tangible value back to the organization. So a couple of examples, you know, one that comes to mind is we had a, a third party tool that we had in our organization that was focused around some of our revenue cycle work and, and, and the analytics that we were delivering out of that domain, we were able to evaluate that tool and look at building that capability internally inside of our analytics platform and deliver not only the functionality that we got out of that third-party tool, but deliver actually uh, new capabilities and exceed the capability that that organization delivered for us. And that's going to be somewhere around a $7 million return to the Cleveland Clinic over the, the next four years. So very easy to quantify that, very easy to demonstrate, you know, this is what we were spending, this is the tool we were using, we can insource it, deliver more value at a lower cost. That's um, awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say there's a couple... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say there's a couple other, uh, couple other examples, you know, and, and this is really important for us in terms of delivering value, we worked very closely with um, our folks on the clinical side and in, in our population health agreements, you know, making sure that we get accurate coding is really important. So we partnered with them on doing some work around HCC improvements, um, which is really a measure of how well you're coding and is important in your Medicare Advantage agreements. Um, and we were able to achieve significant improvement and demonstrate that we were achieve, you know, approaching our 90% goal for compliance in that, in that measure. So Different, different projects that we have across the organization tying a key metric that is measurable to those so that we can actually see the progress is really important to talking about the value that you're delivering out of a program. Uh, the only other thing I would say is that one of the ways that we try to do this is we're very intentional about making sure that while we have to deliver a platform and there's, you know, like I said earlier, there's that kind of data people process and technology. We try to communicate the value of the program through uh, <clears throat> what we call kind of these, you know, you know, our prod, our product, um, product domains. And so we talk about certainly the core things that we're delivering uh, that I talked about earlier across those four pillars. But we also talk about we're delivering uh, capability in domains such as executive insights, quality and outcomes, making sure that we demonstrate how we're doing stuff around physician and provider performance. And those those domains make it really tangible to the organization. So when we talk to our executive team and our sponsors, or we talk to people across the enterprise, that's a great way to translate from, well, we're building a tool to we're delivering value. And here's how we're delivering value. And here's how we're partnering with you to deliver that value. Oh, that's great. So that's, that's really helpful and insightful. Well, $7 million return from one program. That's got to be you know, that's got to make people sit up and take notice, I imagine. Well, you yes, know, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, we can't talk about analytics in today's context without talking about some of the emerging technologies and the analytical tools and methods available out there. So I'm going to throw a couple of terms out at you. And, you know, Ed, Chris, uh, you know, one of you can take a stab at what you think of it. One, artificial intelligence. Uh, I can take a, a run at that, Ed. Um, I think artificial intelligence is a, a really exciting area right now. I think uh, that term is 
certainly surrounded by a lot of hype and a lot of different interpretations and definitions of what people mean by artificial intelligence. We're applying a lot of um, capabilities that fit within that kind of large uh domain if you if you define it kind of the most in the most broad sense possible so a lot of those algorithms that we were talking about earlier are leveraging machine learning capabilities to do forecasts for patient um, you know patient risk or rising risk patients um, we're building an all risk model for all of our patients leveraging those capabilities um, I think you know when I think of artificial intelligence I, I actually kind of prefer the term augmented intelligence that you see more and more now as you do you know as you read right. different things on this because I really believe that the opportunity that we're going to have in healthcare especially is to deliver on the promise of what we've always called clinical decision support. And so I think we have the opportunity to go far beyond, you know, alerts and kind of rule-based things that pop up in the EMR, which have a have their place and are important and certainly have driven value, but also have a some sort of limit or a ceiling on how useful they can be. And as you think about the ways you know, the opportunity that we have to actually impact the way care is delivered. I think there's some fundamental things that are going to shift and AI is going to be at the center of that. You know, historically, the way you deliver care and the way a physician or a clinician really drives that, it was really dependent on their ability to kind of amass and to be able to access this store of knowledge, right? So the patients that they had seen, the cases that they had reviewed, the journals that they're keeping up with, obviously their education and medical school, their ability to kind of look across all of that, bring it together, you know, put it in context of the particular case they're doing and arrive at a diagnosis or a, a recommendation is really the key uh, to be delivering successful clinical care. And the fact is that today, knowledge is largely becoming a commodity. And so we need to think differently about how can we take some of that need to do that off the shoulders of the clinicians and really free them up on that diagnostic side and the way they deliver care. And to me, that's that augmented intelligence. So can I provide to our clinicians in their clinical workflow the ability to access information and go through it and parse it and drive correlations that they would never be able to do on their own, but we can deliver much more context to them. So can they see when they're in the midst of making a clinical decision, what are the potential outcomes? What are the predictive models around cost and, and, and quality? And how can we present to them not just an alert that says, hey, these two drugs have a bad interaction, but information that helps them make a better clinical decision and provide them with options. I think we're a long way from AI or a computer making clinical decisions. I still think that, that you need that human in the middle of that or at the end of that process. But I really think we can revolutionize the way that our caregivers provide that care through AI. And to me, that's that augmented intelligence. So that's what really excites me about that phrase and, and the potential of applying that in healthcare. I think it's so important uh, to understand the distinction that you just made, Chris, uh, between AI uh, you know, and this notion of AI as a job killer or replacing expert humans or whatever it is and really positioning it in a more nuanced way to really help people understand what it stands for today, I, I think I think you did you know you, you you did you did a fantastic job of articulating that that difference and the distinction over there. One more, blockchain. Yeah, blockchain is another one that has a whole bunch of of hype around it now. I think there's a ton of potential in this idea of kind of a distributed ledger in healthcare. Um, I think we're really really early in that, but if you think about 
Um, you know, one thing that kind of excites me in that space is the ability for a patient to own their medical record and to own their clinical information. And they would have the ability and the power to release that to caregivers that they wanted to share it with and to keep it from folks that maybe they didn't want to share with it for some reason. So I think there's a lot of potential uses for blockchain and that that kind of core technology of, like I said, that distributed ledger kind of technology. Um, but I think that that ability, you know, that 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 healthcare record ability and being able to get a healthcare record in that technology is potentially the most exciting, maybe the maybe one of the hardest ones to actually get to, but very exciting in terms of its potential. Is is the clinic doing any pilots on blockchain right now? We're we're not doing any active pilots with uh, blockchain, like Chris says. We believe there's great potential with the technology, and we're waiting to partner with one of our partners in terms of perhaps doing an application with them. But at, at this point, we're not going to do it for the sake of doing it. So we're waiting for the right use case to in which to apply the technology. The only other thing I would add on our sort of approach to augmented intelligence is that we always talk about having our providers operate at top of license. Well, augmented intelligence or artificial intelligence, however you want to couch it, but I appreciate Chris's terminology and nuance is it's we're that's how we're driven. So however we can make the clinicians processes that much more efficient and effective so they can focus on, on caring for the very sick and utilize all of their, uh, in, you know, collective experience. That's, that's how we want to leverage that particular technology. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Uh, any final thoughts you'd like to share for the benefit of, uh, your peers in the industry, uh, or for technology providers who may be uh, listening to the podcast? Chris, you go ahead. I'll go ahead. Ed. Oh, okay. I was just going to share that I think this work is incredibly important and I just want to make sure that we message that this is the work of a team. Uh, you're, you happen to be speaking with Ed and I, but you know we have a lot of people that we're working with um, and our clinical partners first and foremost. We couldn't do any of the work that we're doing without the great clinical leadership that we have in partners such as Tim Crone, who's our medical director, and Will Morris, who's one of our associate CIOs. You know, that's what makes the this really hum at the Cleveland Clinic is the ability to work hand in glove with our clinical leaders and get them engaged in this work and excited about this work. So I just think it's important that if you're building these kinds of programs, you can't do it in a vacuum. You can't do it in isolation. You've got to get out and get key leaders in the organization. And especially in a healthcare organization, you got to get those clinical leaders uh, engaged in the process early on. And my closing comments were very similar, and Chris covered them quite eloquently. And just to emphasize what he was saying, analytics doesn't report to IT. Analytics doesn't report to operations. IT doesn't report. I mean, analytics doesn't report to uh, finance, but it's embraced by everyone in such a way that through our unique governance structure we spoke about or spoke to a little bit earlier, it is supported, embraced, and actualized as sort of this shared resource and it works very, very well. And it can only work that way in this patient first type of culture and where everyone, whether clinician or other type of caregiver, as we call ourselves, working together to doing the right thing for our patients. So uh, that's what, that's the real secret sauce, if anything. Patient first. I love that. 
Gentlemen, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Thank you once again. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Subscribe to our podcast series at www.thebigunlock.com and write to us at info at thebigunlock.com.